0: Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. We are inside of the Charney's Men's Clothing Studios. Charney's, Charney's Men's Clothing, the proud studio partner of Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. They are here for you every single day of the week. They're on Erie Boulevard, 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse, New York. They have been serving generations of men in our community, and it's dress up and dress down. Whether you're going in there to get your, you know, favorite apparel when it comes to, you know, Looney Tunes characters, kind of that dress down, relax, have a good time. You're looking for a jean jacket. You're looking for something with the NBA and whatnot. They got you covered. And then if you're looking for a tux for prom or ball season, you're looking for a suit, a sport coat, you want to look nice to an event you're going out to, maybe you're asking somebody to marry you this year, so you got to have the garb for that, or maybe you're planning your own wedding and it's already set in motion, and you have to find a place to bring you and your groomsmen. The perfect place for whatever you need is Charney's Men's Clothing, 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse, New York. We're in the second hour of Wake Up Call to start off this week, so happy Monday, May 6th, and we are here with Dave Paysiac, basketball coach and analyst. He was here with us in the Central New York community as a coach for a long time, and that's how we met. And now he is out in the great state where I hear they make really awesome maple syrup doing his thing and obviously analyzing the NBA, college basketball, high school, no matter what it is. He's just been a great mind in the world of sports and, and definitely in the basketball conversation. And he's been a good friend of mine for pretty much a decade now so it's it's always a pleasure to have him back on the show and with that I bring him in Dave how are we doing today
1: I'm great Dan how are you doing it's been a, been a little bit
0: yeah it's been a little while here we're in the playoffs of the NBA so I kind of just want to broad scope it for a second here I know we went past the first round but I want to fade back there for a second what were your major takeaways from the opening of the NBA playoffs this year well I
1: think you know, the overriding thing, obviously the Warriors are still the favorites, but I don't think they're, I don't think they have that same air of invincibility um, and don't think that they're the overwhelming favorite that they have been in past years. I think um, you know, in the past I think people um, you know, people would have taken the Warriors over the field uh, you know, on on an even bet. Uh, This year I think uh, you know, that's a lot more interesting question. Um, you know, I think they've, you know, other people have have kind of caught up to them to some degree, and they've come back to the pack to some degree. Um, I think the Clippers grabbing a couple games in Golden State in the first round um, was certainly something that uh, not a lot of people expected. So, uh, I think that's the, you know, one theme. And the other theme is that. Um, for the first time in, in I don't know how many years, uh, the East is wide open. Uh, it's not, um, you know, a bunch of teams hoping that they can get past LeBron James. You know, with LeBron uh, at the with the Lakers, and I mean, we could spend the whole show on that soap opera. But uh, yeah, um, you know, I think there are several good teams that emerge not only uh, as a threat to win the East, but as a threat to win the NBA title. I think. Um, you know, between Boston, Toronto, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and you know, even Indiana hung in there um, until Oladipo got hurt. And I think there are five really good teams in the East this season. And, um, you know, I think Indiana, after they lost Oladipo, tapered off. But I think any of the other four um, certainly will have a, a reasonable opportunity in the NBA Finals.
0: Yeah, you know, when we look at this, and, and I want to go there, for a second, like you said, the Lakers and the soap opera. I was talking about it in, in in hour one. You know, I have respect, tremendous respect for what LeBron can be on the court. I mean, he's obviously a, a specimen. You know, he's he is a, he's a great basketball player. But as far as what he does to the dynamic of a team, he he carries a lot of drama. He goes where coaches are young, and he can kind of take over did it with Spolstra, did it with Lou, did it with Walton. Walton's not there anymore. Lou's not there anymore. I mean, you know, he kind of leaves a wake with him. And if you play with LeBron, you're playing for LeBron. You're not playing for the Lakers. You're not playing for the Heat. You're not playing for the Cavs. You're playing for him. He's judge, jury, and executioner. Magic Johnson jumps ship, and there's not a you know full story as to why, but I, I almost wonder, and I brought it up this morning on the show in the first hour, did Magic just kind of realize, you know what, I don't want to be a part of this. You know, I brought him in, but I'm the president of basketball operations. They're supposed to be a head coach. You know, did he kind of see the writing on the wall and say, I'm already dealing with the Ball family. I already got to deal with LeVar in my ear. Now I got LeBron in my ear. I just can't take the frenzy. I can't take the drama. You know, the Lakers, when I played, weren't a soap opera. We were a winning team. I mean, how do you look at everything? Because I respect LeBron's game, but it seems like where he goes, drama follows. And now Magic Johnson has left his post, and he was only there for about five seconds.
1: Well, I think Magic um, Magic deserves most of the blame for the state the Lakers are in. If you want my honest opinion, I think Magic he's he's one of the greatest, maybe you know one of the greatest Lakers of all time, and certainly. Uh, infectious personality and and a guy who's a great front person to have out there as the face of the organization. But you know, if you if you read and you believe everything you heard, um, you know I don't think Magic was prepared or qualified or ready to be the guy running an NBA franchise. Um, you know, he still got multiple other interests, and um, you know I think I think there was a little thought there in LA that you know put magic in charge of basketball and because he's magic um that that's going to turn the franchise around and um you know you contrast him to a guy like Buford in San Antonio that really is never out there doing interviews and and just is grinding behind the scenes and um you know the David Griffins of the world the guys that have done um you know done a great job running a franchise um there's a lot more to it especially in today's age you know with Basketball being the international game it is, and the salary cap implications, and um, you know it's it's a lot of you know a lot of work and you know talent evaluation and, and um, cap management and whatnot. And I don't, I just don't think Magic was was prepared to take that on. And uh, um, whether he realized that or whether um, you know the Laker brass kind of suggested to him that he step aside, I mean, I guess we'll never know the whole story on that, but, um, you know, they need, they just need a basketball person in there, um, you know, running the operation. Uh, I think magic, I mean, people forget the Lakers were, I think third or fourth in the West when LeBron got hurt, um, back in December, you know, when he, when he went on the shelf with injury. And then, and you know, then they had a the whole drama with, uh, Anthony Davis and, you know, that's, that's part. Anthony Davis's people and LeBron's people, and, but a lot of that goes with the Lakers. You know, mm-hmm. that was out there in the media um, constantly during that period of time leading up to the, the trade deadline and whatnot. You know, you contrast that to like the Sixers made the move for Tobias Harris. You heard nothing about that move until it happened. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas the you know the Laker Anthony Davis, so popular that that dominated the media. So, you know, I think Luke Walton took the fall for what happened to the Lakers this year, and I don't really think that was fair. You know, in my opinion, the, you know, Magic should take the lion's share of the blame for, um, you know, for this season and, and, and what happened to the, fran- you know, the state of the franchise. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, it seems like the Lakers, um, you know, when you got LeBron, it's kind of a win-now thing, although he signed on for multiple years with them. Um, which is significantly different than than his time in Miami and his second go around in Cleveland, where he he would sign a two years with a one year option every year to kind of keep the pressure on the franchise about you need to make moves to win now. Um, he's he's in it. I think he's kind of put himself in a position where um, you know he's gonna he's gonna wrap up his career with the Lakers. Um, so I you know I don't think. I think his his mindset is a little bit different too, um, you know, as far as he wants to wants to be in L.A., he's got, uh, you know, interests in entertainment and other ventures, you know, that it's helpful to him to be in L.A. and on the West Coast, wants to raise his family there and so forth. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what transpires, but you know, Tyrone moves, if you believe what you heard, um, he and LeBron are going to get reunited and Lou's going to be the next coach of the Lakers. So, um, that will be an interesting dynamic in and of itself. Because I think the key, so I saw this on social media a couple of days ago, uh, forget who, who made the quote, but it said, like, coaching in the NBA, you coach your role players and you manage your star players. And I think that's really, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you know, I think whether it's LeBron James or, you know, whether it's Durant and Curry or whether it's, you know, you take a look at what Toronto did managing, uh, um, managing Leonard this year. So, you know, I think there, you know, there really is a lot of truth to that. So, um, Lou has experience with LeBron and, um, you know, was contentious at times. But, uh, you know, the end result was, was really good in Cleveland. And, you know, so I think there's hope with the Lakers that, you know, and Laker fans and Laker management that uh, they can kind of um, repeat that exercise in L.A.
0: Speaking here with Dave Paziac, basketball coach and analyst, uh, spent pretty much uh, the better part of a decade here with us on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. You know, Dave, <clears throat> what do you think about, I mean, to like you said, you, you put you put the onus on Magic, not so much on Luke Walton, who, I mean, it's easy to put it on him. Young coach, wasn't really successful in the NBA. So, you know, they could they could kind of just put it on him and, and people go, Oh yeah, it makes sense. But, you know, what do you think about LeBron's place in all this? Because I know you have a lot of respect for LeBron. I know you think he's a tremendous player. You know, and at the same time though it it does look like, like I was saying before, he leave when he leaves a, a player when he leaves a team, it, it does kind of change things for some of these guys out there, and and it seems like you know it is about him when he's in interviews. It seems like it, you know, it it is about him. He's bought into his own hype, so to speak, and you know he's made comments about guys need to pay attention, guys need to not be off doing other things, but he's doing a show on HBO and he's filming a movie and he's doing this, he's doing that. So, I mean, it does seem like maybe the character of LeBron comes into question a little bit. Nothing, I mean, he is the player that he is, but I, I wonder about the leadership side of it. What do you think about it? Well,
1: I think he's a guy that, um, you know, when when a franchise commits to him, I think that they're committing to a win now, we're going to do whatever we need to do to give ourselves an opportunity to compete for a championship now. And I think that's what he, and I think he's up, you know, he's pretty upfront about that. And um, like I said, this, this time around in LA, a little bit different with this contract situation. But, um, you know, I, I think that a lot of the, uh, I don't know how you want to put it. A lot of the, the the after effect of having LeBron on your your franchise stems largely from, um, You know the mortgage, the future to win now mentality that that you develop um, with him in your organization, and I you know I think like you know I don't think it's fair to say Luke Walton like hasn't really been successful when he took over the Warriors. I mean, obviously he had the best roster in the league, but they were phenomenal for that half a season. And last year, coaching the Lakers, that team made good progress with young players, and um, you know coming up on the end of the season, like he had he had done a good job bringing that team along. Um, and that team was making progress this year up until LeBron got hurt. And, um, you know, then you had the whole Anthony Davis deal, and, you know, they're talking about basically everybody's expendable and wanting to, you know, so with, with young players, yes, they got to be, you know, mentally tough. And, you know, I think LeBron can be tough on young players. I mean, Jordan, there was nobody tougher on players than Jordan. I mean, Jordan was, was, was brutal to Tony Kukoc, you know, and other guys, that played with the Bulls, like people kind of forget that. So, you know, playing with Jordan was no um, walk in the park either. So, but I, and I think that's why um, a lot of times the star players haven't made the great coaches, you know, because I think that they they're at such a such a high level themselves, and they have a hard time dealing with the average player who is, you know who is not at their level. Um, You know, and I think that's certainly the case with LeBron. And, you know, it's on the one hand, things were going really well until he got hurt. On the other hand, is LeBron with a bunch of young guys on the the rise a great mix? You know, probably not. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, on the one hand, like, that's the. I mean, that's what you're signing on for when you know when you commit to to LeBron and build a new franchise with LeBron.
0: So you know you have this. Does he look at this situation with Magic? Does he look at this situation with maybe they're not going to get Kawhi, not going to get Kevin Durant? Maybe he can't buy another team in LA. So do you? Does he go to them and say, "I want to restructure this. I want out." You know, we've we've learned in football the contracts don't mean anything. Odell Beckham Jr. signs an extension less than a year later. He's on the Cleveland Browns. Antonio Brown is three years left on his contract telling Pittsburgh, I don't want to play for you anymore. And he now he's in Oakland. So, you know, does LeBron go and say, listen, I know I said this, this, and this, but this isn't what I signed up for. How do you look at that? Um,
1: I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's likely. I think if... if You know, if he had concerns about that, I don't think he would have committed four years to the Lakers. I think he would have signed with them on the short deals, similar to what he had been doing in Cleveland and doing in Miami. So, um, you know, I'd be very surprised if that happens. Uh, I know you see the things online every once in a while about, you know, with the Lakers entertaining dealing LeBron. Um, You know, if they were to do that, it would – it would signal, like, I don't think the Laker fan base would go for that because if they were to, like, deal LeBron for a bunch of assets, um, you know, basically do a Philly-style re- uh, reboot, um, I don't think that would play well in L.A. So um, I would be shocked if, if, if either LeBron went in um, demanding a move like that or if the Lakers um, initiated it so, I mean, just if it was another franchise, maybe. But, but the, the Lakers and kind of the, the aura around the Lakers and the Laker fan base, I I would really be shocked if that happened.
0: That coming from Dave Pasiak, basketball coach and analyst, here with us this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. To go back to it, you know, surprises of the first. I mean, obviously, like you said, the Clippers got two from Golden State. They won it 4-2. to two. Houston wins over Utah 4 to 1, Portland over Oklahoma City, which, you know, I mean ever since Kevin Durant left, I mean it, it the it, Russell Westbrook, it's one of those situations where he looks good and he could do good things and he could be successful, but the team just isn't going anywhere. 4 to 1 they lose to Portland. Denver goes 7 games with San Antonio, they win it 4 to 3 even though Denver was a number 2 seed in this. We know San Antonio's just a good team every single year. Tough matchup, tough out for anybody. Philly takes care of Brooklyn, four to one. Toronto four to one over Orlando, and Boston, Milwaukee sweep four to nothing. Boston over Indiana, Milwaukee over Detroit. What are your thoughts on this? I, I know you brought up some injuries happening and whatnot, but you know, were there any surprises? Were there any series that you maybe thought would be better? Did San Antonio surprise you that they pushed to a game seven? I mean, just kind of what your overall thoughts were from that.
1: Well, other than Clippers, which we talked about already, um, the one series I really thought would be a very competitive, very good series the one in that turned out not to be was Houston and Utah. And I thought um, I thought that would, you know, would be a competitive matchup. Um, you know, Utah defensively is very good. Um, you know, I, I I really thought that would end up being like a six or seven game series. I wasn't surprised that Houston won. I was surprised that it wasn't more competitive than it was. Um, you know, I thought Boston and Indiana, you know, once Indiana lost Oladipo, I, you know, I don't think they were um, on a par with the, the upper echelon teams in, in the East. Um, you know, not really surprised that San Antonio extended Denver. Um, you know, Denver's an interesting team. They're a lot of fun to watch, you know, the way they play, I think. You know this series, this round with Portland, I think is phenomenal. But uh, you know, I think Jokic, and then you can say the same for Lillard with Portland. I think if those guys played in um, in a market where they got more exposure, more TV time, um, you know, more media attention, I think they would be looked at in the top five or ten players in the league, both of them. But uh, with San Antonio, you know, they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. The thing about the Spurs that was really interesting is, um, you know, with Aldridge and DeRozan and whatnot they don't play like tradition like what we've come to, kind of come to know as Spurs basketball um, they've become uh, far more um, isolation oriented and you know less with less ball movement and ball sharing than uh, um, that we kind of came to know the Spurs uh, for having um, you know so that was that was interesting Popovich kind of changed his um, his approach and his philosophy with this team but uh Um, You know, in terms of, uh, you know, you figured Milwaukee was going to make quick work of Detroit, and they did. Uh, A lot of people thought Brooklyn would push Philly a little bit more than than they did. I mean, Brooklyn's another team that maybe is on the rise a little bit. Um, Brooklyn and Orlando, I think, are two teams in the east headed in the right direction. But uh, just not, not ready to compete with that top tier, top four four teams in the East, there's a clear, I think there was a clear line between the top four and then you had Indiana and then you had the bottom three, you know. The West, Oklahoma City, um, Westbrook's, t- I mean, he he's an interesting character too because I think there's things about him that are really admirable, but I think there's things about him that just can drive you crazy as a fan and whatnot. Um, you know, Paul George seems like he's become as good a sidekick to Westbrook as anybody because Paul George you know for a good part of the year people were talking about him in the MVP discussion I think he's a guy that um, is their top option but is okay with Westbrook thinking that he's the top option if that makes any sense um, you know Westbrook I mean George has seemed to figure it out next to him but um, other than maybe Steven Adams um you know, he, he's a guy where playing next to him careers have gone to die, too. You know, like Carmelo Anthony or, I mean, Oladipo and Sabonis, those guys, you know, needed to get away from Westbrook Brooke, to really flourish um, and become the players that they become in Indiana. So, um, you know, he's, I, I think when you got a guy like Westbrook as your top dog, um, there's a certain ceiling to your team, and I think that's what Oklahoma's, Kind of run into right now. Um, you know, if the team's built around him, um, you know, I think they're, you know, they're, they're going to be a team that's, I mean, they're not going to ever be terrible. Um, you know, they're going to, they're, they're kind of caught in that no man's land a little bit where, you know, they're good enough to be in the playoffs or in the playoff picture every year, but probably not going to be good enough to, um, you know, to really threaten for a championship. I mean, I think they're, their their chance at a championship left when Kevin Durant left town you know so um you know they're in a, they're in an interesting spot at franchise with their franchise
0: and and that's that's kind of where it is now is is it time for Oklahoma City to you know see what they can do with Russell Westbrook is it time for them to you know start to rebuild i mean they make it to the playoffs but they don't look the same anymore they seem easily beatable you know they they seem like you know, if you can isolate Russell Westbrook and you can kind of, you know, dictate a little bit of that, that you're going to win this game. And, you know, they had James Harden. They had Kevin Durant. They had the three of them together. It didn't work. I think Harden was still finding his groove at that point in his first couple seasons in the NBA. But, you know, Durant saw the writing on the wall. So is it time for Oklahoma City to start the era sans Westbrook? Do they Start to almost do it, even if he is there to maybe shift a little bit here, because it looks like Oklahoma City. If they're going to live and die by Russell Westbrook, he's going to keep getting some nice stats. But you know, this team may make the playoffs. They may be the seven seed. They may be a six seed or a five. You know, something like that. But not making it farther than that, not doing anything, not winning a championship. Do you kind of just you know come to terms with the fact that you know Westbrook is a good scorer, but? It's time to move on.
1: Well, it's tough to do that in a market like Oklahoma City because it's not, in all likelihood, Oklahoma City is never going to be like a destination spot for free agents. Um, You know, so they got to get lucky through the draft or um, make astute trades. And, like, they don't have a lot of margin for error um, to make mistakes and if you say yeah we're gonna we're gonna unload Westbrook for some assets um, you know what kind of assets and what can you turn those assets into um, you know I mean Philly went that route but Philly's a, you know a major market city um, you know and it took them a long time after they got rid of Iguodala got you know basically gutted the roster took a lot of moves and a lot of uh Stockpiling of assets to finally turn the corner with you know guys like Embiid and, and Simmons and Sarich and then they were able to pile Sarich and Covington into Jimmy Butler. So I mean that was a painful process for a long time, and I think if it was difficult in Philly. I think it's uh, it would be even more difficult in a market like OKC. So um, you know I think what they they're almost in a position where if they want to remain relevant. They've got to continue to be built around Westbrook, and just you know, hopefully, find the right pieces to put next to him. Maybe get lucky with, um, you know, with with a couple draft picks going forward. Um, you know, get undervalued guys that, that blossom. You know, like a Stephen Adams. Um, you know, and and try to go it that way. Um, they remind me a little bit of um, like Memphis was in that situation where built around Gasol and Conley where. They can get to a certain level, but you're never going to be a big free agent destination, and if you blow it up, it might be really hard to get back to relevance. And, you know, I think that's, um, you know, OKC is is kind of in that, in that situation. Um, you know, Milwaukee was in that situation a little bit, and Milwaukee, like I really give their organization a lot of credit because they were able to retool and build around Giannis, and, you know, obviously, I mean, he's, when he was drafted, people thought he'd be good, but I don't know that anybody thought he's going to be, you know, top three or four player in the league. Good, which I mean, he's certainly turning out to be. So, um, you know, when you're in those markets, you know, same with Portland and Damian Lillard. I mean, you're in those markets and you've got um, uh, an elite level talent or a couple of elite level talents, like they do with Paul George and next to Westbrook. Um, it's a
0: really tricky thing to try to um, try to make that move to get yourself to upper echelon level versus blowing it up and being very, very difficult to recover from. yeah, I mean, it's a it's a hard thing to do, but you know you almost look at how do you kind of bridge the gap and you know, or do you have Russell for the next couple of years, like you said, bring in some pieces that can work with him, some young guys, but then maybe try to find that phenom that, Is there and kind of as you're building these young pieces and giving Russell, you know, the next couple seasons that you pass the torch essentially. So maybe you put somebody in there instead of having to blow it all up or instead of having a losing season and hoping that you, you know, get a high draft pick but essentially bring somebody in that can bridge the gap so that fans that are buying Westbrook jerseys and showing up into the stands because of Russell Westbrook, good, bad, or indifferent, because they know he's going to score and they know that there's going to be some relevancy, that you know, maybe you could get another guy that's polarizing that you can get some jersey sales and some connection there as you move forward. So you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how they bridge that gap in Oklahoma City, but I want to go up to Toronto. They're still playing. They just tied their series with Philadelphia 2-2, what do you think about the Kawhi Leonard factor? Because it doesn't look like he's going to L.A., and well, at least not the Lakers. And, you know, Toronto's done so many different things. And, I mean, you look at their social media and just, you know, their message and how they're going about everything. They're doing everything they can to win a championship this year while doing everything they can to keep Kawhi Leonard for the long term. They're kind of fighting two battles at once. What do you think about what they're doing with Kawhi? Are they... Creating a good enough message. How do you see it?
1: Well, I mean, Kawhi is an interesting cat because you don't get very much out of him. I mean, he was phenomenal yesterday against my Sixers. Um, You know, and they interview him in the post game, and I mean, you would have thought, I mean, he just lost his favorite pet, just got run over by a car or something. Um, You know, so you don't get a lot of emotion, you don't get a lot of of what he's thinking, what he's feeling um, out there. Um, He's not um, not a guy who puts a lot out. Um, You know, if you believe some of the stuff you hear, um, the Clippers seem like maybe a destination for him. And reading the tea leaves, like you know, the Clippers getting rid of Tobias Harris the way they did, and you know, maybe they're opening up a slot for him. Um, Could be a an interesting move for Kawhi. Um, I mean Toronto seems like a great environment um, I know you're dealing with you know being being in Canada and um, you know exchange rates and that kind of thing but you know just from a uh, from a support and a basketball environment I think Toronto has done everything that they can expect I mean they've managed his his workload really carefully during the year probably I mean when you when you're bringing a guy in his situation in the 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 tendency is, I mean, we're going to get as much as we can out of them now because we may not have them next year. And Toronto has almost taken the opposite approach where they've been ultra-cautious and ultra-conservative with his workload. So, um, you know, I think he, I mean, he he should appreciate and value that. Um, you know, I think a lot of whether he re-ups in Toronto or not, is, quite frankly, is probably out of the Raptors' hands. It seems like the Raptors have done pretty much everything within their control to to create a great environment for him. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure... Like, there, there's a lot of people in the media that are tying whether Kawhi stays in Toronto with how deep of a playoff run they make, and I'm just not 100% convinced that, that that's as relevant to the discussion
0: as as a lot of people seem to think. Yeah, you know, and, and that's... To look at this, you know, Kawhi Leonard situation and, you know, if it fits and if it makes sense, it looks like it does. I mean, DeMar DeRose, I I was always the proponent of keep DeMar and bring in a guy like Kawhi Leonard when they flipped and, you know, when they obviously gave that up and brought in Danny Green, mind you, that a lot of people overlook. And he's been a big help to the Toronto Raptors to see what they've been able to do this season, without Demar, and with the addition of Danny Green and Kawhi, and obviously bringing in Mark Casol and even Jeremy Lynn off the bench, there's been some good things that have come from this. Arguably, a better team, and you know, fighting the way that they're fighting, and like you said, a wide open East with Philadelphia and Milwaukee and Boston and and, and Toronto out there vying for the opportunity to go to the NBA Finals. So we are where we are, but there's another guy we have to talk about. He's, in my opinion. Paid a lot of money to be an average player. Paid a lot of money to be subpar. Paid a lot of money to you know, kind of have money that's similar to Steph Curry money per season, but not play like Steph Curry. A guy that has been shut out of a game. A guy that scores 12 points. Not a guy that's taken over games. And not somebody Toronto can lean on. And somebody who I think takes up a a big chunk of the money in Toronto if they want to keep Kawhi and if they want to you know, obviously put some more pieces on the team. This is something to look at, but who's going to take this guy with the type of contract he has? And that's Kyle Lowry. You know, I'm not against anybody. Listen, go make your money, make your money. They want to give you the money, give them the money. They thought about letting this guy go, allegedly a couple of years ago to New York, to the Knicks. They end up keeping him. They sign him. They pay him millions upon millions of dollars. But I look at the output of Kyle Lowry and it makes me question the amount of money that they've given and the fact that they've kind of put themselves in a situation where they're locked in with Kawhi Leonard. And to look at the breakdown really quick here, a Kawhi, or pardon me, Kyle Lowry, if I say Kawhi Leonard. Kyle Lowry, 2018-19, this season, $31 million in base salary, $200,000 in incentives, $31,200,000 cap hit, dead cap over $64 million for the team as a whole. Next season, he makes thirty three. million. Almost $33.3 million, plus the $200,000 bonus potentially. So he's costing the Raptors at least $31 million this year, $33 million and change next season. And the man gets 2 points, 12 points, 30 points, 5 points. What are your thoughts on Kyle Lowry? I mean, I'm I, I'm proud of him for making the bank, but at the same time, I'm scratching my head in Toronto going, you're paying $31 million to a guy who gets lost in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, um, like playoff Lowry, and one thing Lowry did, um, which I kind of give him credit for is when DeRozan was there for a lot of years, it was, it was one A and one B. It was Lowry and DeRozan and Lowry took a significant backseat role to DeRozan his last year or two in Toronto and let DeRozan be the best player. And he's, done the same thing even more so with with Leonard. Um, but, you know, then it comes to the question that you bring up, which I, you know, I mean, he's getting play, paid like a, an elite-level guy, and what you're getting is just a pretty good NBA player. Um, especially pl- come playoff time. Now, I do think yesterday um, he started really well yesterday against the Sixers, uh, and I think that was... A really kind of an overlooked but really key point to that game because I think Philly had a chance to come out, step on Toronto's throat right out of the gate and then um, you know, Raptors of old uh, you know, that mindset starts to creep in um, I mean, it's the same old rap, different guys same old Raptors, uh, you know, can't get it done in the postseason, so I think Lowry starting well yesterday really helped that and then Kawhi Leonard has really kind of saved him from that fate, um team on his back and you know so I think you know had Philly won that game yesterday I think there you know there's you would have heard a lot of the same rumblings about the Raptors and whatnot and uh, Philly may have closed them out in five in Toronto now I think you know three game series with two in Toronto I think the Raptors you know unfortunately being a Sixers fan but uh, um, I think the Raptors have a better even chance of winning that series at this point Um, you know and I think in terms of Lowry though um, you know the, the, the Raptors are kind of stuck there because I think he has a contract that um, is probably I think it's highly unlikely to take a trade him and, and get any kind of return for him because of the way his contract is structured I don't you know I find it hard to believe there's there would be many if any takers in the league for him so yeah. um, you know I think they're kind of They've kind of made their bed with that, so um, I think what what you get out of Lowry is what you're going to get, and um, you know I think Toronto's going to have to make make the best of it over uh, you know over over the rest of that contract.
0: Well, yeah, that's that's the part that's tough is you know that you look over the next two years and it's sixty four million dollars in change that they're paying to Kyle Lowry, which you know I mean if if we're talking about Steph Curry. We're talking about something. If we're talking about, you know, there's some guys out there that you can have this conversation about, but now with the inconsistency that you have. Orlando, you said about being back on the map. I agree with you. You know, I think this is a team that's coming up. They really have been in the basement since Dwight Howard left when I was down there covering the team about a decade ago. And, you know, a little bit less than a decade ago. I was down there in 2009 to, you know, 2011 or so, covering this team and in the locker room interviewing Dwight Howard and then seeing how this team... Kind of went forward in the last few years without him. He crippled the franchise. I knew it was going to happen. But they found their way back up. They've done some things. They brought in some pieces. When something didn't work, they let go of it. They brought in some guys cheap. And they just brought in Michael Carter Williams, former Syracuse player, who was on a 10-day contract, then a 10-day contract, then signed the rest of the season, and actually did himself pretty well here for the team in general and in the playoffs. I know that they lost 4-1 to to Toronto but what do you think about the Orlando magic and, and what do you think about even the future of Michael Carter Williams knowing that he's done some good things on this team and you know maybe he could find himself to finally have a landing spot spot after being with your 76ers and then being kind of a journeyman since then
1: yeah I think Carter Williams is kind of um, you know he seems to have found a niche in Orlando you know some uh, you know hopefully for his sake, I mean, that ends up being um, some kind of a place where he can put down some stakes. But, I, you know, I think he's a guy that, um, you know, like you said, he, you know, he's almost become destined. And people forget he was a rookie of the year at one point. But, uh, um, he, you know, he's, he's kind of almost become destined to uh, be a guy that kicks around the league and is a part and is something, is a guy that, you know, people can sign to you know to fill a need in the short run, but they're always going to be looking for um, looking for better, looking for a guy to play over them. So, um, you know, maybe uh, Orlando is a spot that 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 he can he can flourish um, going forward. I think for the Magic in general, I uh, you know a lot of times, like people say, you know, are you better off sliding into the playoffs in a seven or eight spot or not making the playoffs and you know, giving yourself a chance in the draft lottery and all that kind of thing. I think for Orlando, it was really, really important and I think really beneficial to that franchise that they, um, closed the way they did and and were able to, to grab a playoff spot. Um, you know, I think that was a a tangible step forward for that franchise and, um, you know, sign of progress for their fan base and for, you know, for the league and, um, You know, I I think for the whole kind of aura and psyche surrounding that franchise, I I think, um, you know, them making the playoffs, um, grabbing a game, um, you know, seems to be a a good positive vibe around that that team and that organization. And, um, you know, hopefully that will translate into, you know, continuing to grow into a contender over the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, you know, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they do and how they come about from here because they've had a little taste of success, can they continue to sustain that and can they continue to move forward, getting rid of some stuff like I said, bringing in a vet, it doesn't work, they let them go, having some high draft picks that they let go that maybe weren't panning out. It seems like and they've had changes to the front office. So it seems like Orlando's looking to try and find the formula, but at least getting to the playoffs now says something about where they're heading. So we are where we are. We're with basketball coach and analyst Dave Paziak here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Charney's Men's Clothing Studios. We have Golden State at the time that we're talking. Golden State 2-1 on Houston. Portland-Denver tied 2-2. Two two. Philadelphia-Toronto 2-2. Two two. Milwaukee and Boston 2-1 in favor of Milwaukee. All of these series look like they're going to be something potentially. Houston was finally able to get one, even if it took them a little bit of extra time. Denver, like you said, fun to watch, but you know this could go either way Milwaukee and Boston Boston was able to steal one and then Milwaukee has gotten a couple here and Toronto you know kind of <laughs> kind of you know nerfed it in the in the in the beginning here you know losing one at home and then was able to kind of come back here to tie it 2 to 2 so what do you think ultimately about you know these series that we have that'll bring us to the Eastern and Western Conference Finals well
1: um aren't any, I, I think the two games today, um, you know, if you look back historically through the NBA, if Milwaukee wins, if Golden State wins, you can pretty much say those series are over. Uh, I think it's like 11 times in the history of the league a team has come back from 3-1, um, which I think is some, something like 96% of the time the team wins when they're up 3-1. So, uh, um, so obviously, you know, critical games for Houston and for Boston today to stay alive, Um, if, you know, the, the, the Warriors, I think are still the team to beat, but I think Houston, you know, if they can get it to a game six and a game seven, and, um, you know, then you got a puncher's chance with a guy like Harden going nuts. Um, I think if they were able to extend the series that far, um, you know, they put Golden State in a position they haven't been in in a long time as far as being, you know, back to the wall this early in the playoffs. Um, but if the Warriors win tonight, then that series is over. Um, same thing with Milwaukee and Boston. I think that's an interesting – after game one, everybody was coming out, Paul Pierce gets on TV, and um, you know, everybody's saying how it's over. Boston's the better team. They've got it figured out. And I think Boston has more good players than Milwaukee. But the problem is Milwaukee's got the best player in the series, um, and Milwaukee. Uh, this this is maybe going to be an unpopular opinion, but I think Milwaukee's also got the edges in terms of Budenholzer as a as a head coach. And I like Brad Stevens and everything, but I think some of that luster has worn off this year. And um, I think anybody but Brad Stevens or maybe Popovich coaching that team would be would have gotten heat during the regular season for um, that team's erratic kind of up-and-down, lackluster play. Um, But I think, uh, you know, if Boston can get it to 2-2, Milwaukee's still got the home-court advantage and still probably the favorite in that series. But, um, you know, Boston's got, uh, you know, if you're looking for, you know, the most talented roster top to bottom, I mean, you can put Boston up with um, almost any team in the league. So, um, you know, the the 2-2 series, I think... um, you know, Sixers had a golden opportunity to take command of that series yesterday, and Kawhi Leonard kept it from happening. Embiid was was bad yesterday too. I think um, you know he's got to play better for them to uh, you know for them to to win the series. Um, you know, Toronto you would think has the edge with two out of the last three in Toronto, but uh, I mean Philly's proven they can win there. Toronto's proven they can win in Philly. So that probably um, you know that's a that's a pretty evenly matched series. Um, you know, slight edge to the Raptors because they have the home court the rest of the way. And then the series that gets the least amount of attention has really been terrific so far, is Portland and in uh, and Denver. You know, I touched on it earlier. I think you know uh, Jokic and uh, um, and Damian Lillard are, are tremendous. Um, you know, two of the top five or ten players in the league. And you know, I think this playoff series hopefully is is giving giving the casual fan more of an appreciation for them. Um, I thought Denver's win last night, uh, to win in Portland less than 48 hours after that four overtime game where they extended their starters, you know, they had guys playing 60 and 65 minutes and to come back and, and win that game last night, which was really a well-played game was really a better played game than the, the four overtime game. Um, you know, Portland played well last night, like guys on both teams were making big plays coming down the stretch. Um, you know, I thought Denver winning that game last night was really impressive. Um, you know, that series again, Denver's had one of the best home court uh, records in the league this year. So, you know, you give them the slight edge with it being two-two, but uh, would not shock me at all to see to see Portland win that win that series, win two out of three either. So, I think Philly, Philly, uh, Toronto, and Portland, Denver, I think are are unfolding as great series. You know, if the other two can get to
0: 2-2, maybe we'll have four great series. And, you know, that's what I was going to ask you in closing here, Dave, is just what you think about Portland because, you know, they're the three seed in the West, you know, that we've seen them have success in the past. You know, we go back to the Brian Grant days and Damon Stoudemire and Arvita Sabonis and company being there and how they played against the Lakers and they would get up but ultimately fall, you know, but they – you know, and obviously, the Carl Malone thing, where Carl Malone would elbow guys in the face. And so one night in Portland, they gave band aids to all the fans who wore it on their nose, like Brian Grant. I mean, there were some good moments in Portland, and they've been up and down and around the corner. But we talk about finding life after the fact. And, you know, do you have a big market? And, you know, can you bridge the gap and whatnot? What do you think about Portland? I mean, they've they found a way to be relevant, but they've done it with different players over the last decade. And now they're going to push Denver. And I think that this could arguably be one of the best series and maybe the only one that goes to six or seven games in this thing. What do you think about Portland and, and, and what they've been able to do and the fact that, you know, they've kind of weaseled their way back into it, so to speak?
1: Well, um, I mean, I think they, they got a, a superstar to build around in Lillard. And Lillard seems to be invested in the Blazers, which I think, I mean, you don't hear. You don't hear things about, you know, Lillard wants to go to L.A., Lillard wants to go to New York, Lillard wants to go to wherever. Um, you know, he seems like a guy who's invested in Portland and, and invested in the team as the face of the franchise, and, he, and he, I mean, he's a tremendous player. I mean, you can make an argument he's the best point guard in the NBA right now. Um, you know, they've got uh, a good number two in, in McCollum. Um, you know, that's a team where... It feels like they're one player away from being able to really compete at a championship level, but they've also become kind of a trendy pick to come out of the West. So, um, you know, personally, I, like, I have a heart. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they beat Denver. I think Denver's got the slight advantage with the home court the rest of the way, but it would surprise me a lot if uh, Portland were able to get through and then get past Golden State or Houston to get to the finals. Um you know, I think they would be a significant underdog against either
0: one of those teams. That coming from Dave Pasiak, our basketball coach and analyst. Dave, as always, I appreciate it. I know every conversation that we have opens the doorway up for more, but you can plan on, and and we would love to have you back here as we go through the playoffs here to make sure that, that it's more consistency to have Dave Pasiak here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora because I love your insight, and I love your time and your research and, and just – You know, really anything that we have coming up, you have an opinion on, and I appreciate the fact that you know you're you're a student of the game every single day for as long as you've coached, and so it means a lot to the show. And I look forward to having you back soon. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Dan, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. All right, take care and have a good day. You too, Dan. We'll see you. Thanks.